Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is a scholar, columnist, essayist, and a cultural critic. We're going to talk today about all the recent events and maybe some updates on United States foreign policy, inflation and gas prices, personality cult of Joe Biden, and other things that are going on in our world today. I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marcia Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. We got a lot on the agenda today, but we'll be right back after these messages. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. And Victor, I know that usually you do this with Jack today, but you got me as a special treasure and so do your listeners. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Sammy. I've completed months of long COVID and I am suffering from, I'm I'm enjoying the beginnings of COVID euphoria. My smell came back in the last five days. Nice. I'm starting to taste things. My ugly yellow five month, disgusting yellow COVID tongue that was on fire has now been quenched and it's more red. It's normalizing. And all I have left is a little vertigo and fatigue and uh, muscle aches. And I'm working on that. So awesome. I've been taking some enzymes that sort of break up clotting. And so I, I think I'm on top of it. And all right. I my goal will be met. I promised our listeners by, did I say, I've said so many things, but gosh, I'm like Joe Biden. Uh, I think I said November 10th, yeah. I would declare myself over long COVID. I, just for all, I'm not making light of it. All the, those who are listening that have suffered this uh, continuation of the acute phase with these bizarre neurological or cardio or pulmonary symptoms, but characterized mostly by 
migraines, fatigue, vertigo, et cetera, muscle pain. It's no laughing matter, but I do think it is a self-limiting autoimmune response. And as bad as it is, and it's terrible, it will it will alleviate. It will be alleviated. Yeah, it will go away. Yeah. Yes, I think your immune system gets used to it. And then slowly it fights back and tries to turn off the psychotine, leukotriene, histamine, and all of that poison that it's releasing. It's injuring the tissue at the cellular level. But I do yeah. think it's self-limiting, especially, and you have to stay upbeat if you can, confident, yeah. optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. And since you are on top of things right now, why don't we turn to the midterm elections first and have your thoughts on how things are going for the Republicans and maybe, you know, some thoughts, too, on Italy's um, new prime minister, Giorgia Maloney. So, Maloney, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that is Papuzzi. Uh, no, that's it's uh, the word for melon in modern Greek, Maloney. But anyway, uh, is that a harbinger of what's going to happen in our elections? (laughs) I think it is. I think this is a globalized, at least a westernized phenomenon that people have seen the ultimate wages of progressivism and wokeism, whether it's in Sweden or whether it's in Italy. And it's going to happen elsewhere, too. And there's nowhere that it can go. We've reached the ultimate manifestation. What's left is the abyss. And the abyss we know from Venezuela or Cuba, or Soviet Union or Mao's China, it's just nihil- utter nihilism, death and destruction. And you cannot destroy meritocracy or mandate equality of result, equality or egalitarianism coerced through a government elite. So look what it's given us. And so when so f- to answer your question specifically, I am confident because the issues are all polling, as I keep saying, negative for the Democrats. I and mean, think of that. People are looking at that border and they're saying, my gosh, what is going on? Whether you like illegal immigration, you don't like it, whether you want more or less, it doesn't matter. There's a, a border. There's a law that says you can't do that. How does the president of the United States just nullify it? Does he think he's 1832 South Carolina or 1860s? South Carolina, you can't do that and have a federal system. Can't you can't do it? And people know that. And that Martha's Vineyard was a brilliant example of how the media narrative of January sixth, Trump raid, Phantom of the Opera speech, back to January sixth, Trump, 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 selling nuclear secrets like the Rosenberg. That's been disrupted by the Martha's Vineyard, that utter transparent hypocrisy, performance art, virtue signaling, where 50 illegal aliens sent that whole Tony coastal elite into a frenzy, and they have not recovered. And it reminded people about who's doing this, and they're never subject to the consequences. And it kind of broke up the narrative. And I think now people are looking at the issues more. And whether it's inflation, my gosh, it's 8.1. And Joe Biden and his sonality keeps saying it's zero. We mentioned metaphors that show how last time how absurd that was. You know, if you're 10 feet, as I said, in quicksand and you float up one foot, it doesn't mean that there's no longer any quicksand. You're still nine feet below. And that's where you are when you have an 8.1 annual inflation rate. It's not zero. And we have a choice between prices going down because of a recession at the cost of economic growth. So we're going to get a GDP third quarter reading very soon because we're nearing the end of September. And when we do, it's going to be, I think the Federal Reserve in Atlanta said it might be 0.3. And they've been optimistic more than not. And I think it's going to be zero or negative. That would be three quarters of negative growth. And gasoline went up 10 cents. Diesel fuel went 20 cents. He keeps saying, well, it's over now. It's gone up. It's gone up, yes, under my tenure, but it went down a dollar a gallon. Then he just mute when it goes back up again, as if he, by draining the petroleum reserve, he brought prices down, which he spiked because he canceled Anwar and all and these federal leases and the financial apparatus of fracking and horizontal drilling. If he's responsible for it going down, he's got to be responsible for going up. And people know that. 
So I don't see. And then you look at his ratings as 39 percent in the ABC Washington Post poll. They were bragging that he was Aviator Joe at 42 percent. And we were lectured in 2018 by the left that when Donald Trump was 39 percent, that he was going to lose 40 seats. And that's about what he lost. So I think he's going to lose 40 to 50 seats. And the issues are against him. It's a nationwide, but more importantly, it's a worldwide revulsion at the elite left. And it's manifesting itself throughout the world. And here in the United States, we're more or less birthed. Uh, people are sick of it. And where does it lead to the Wawa Philadelphia store that everybody's seen now? Millions of people have seen this utter criminality. And the subtext is not one of those people will be prosecuted. And people look at that and they say, you can't, that is not civilization. You cannot continue that. So there's a sense that all of these issues, the European energy market, 10 times the price of last year's electricity in Germany, they're going to shut down steel plants. They're going to shut down major manufacturing. So this green nihilism can't go any farther without destroying this system. And people understand that when Gavin Newsom's almost in the same breath says he's going to mandate an end to fossil fuel cars, and then he says, please don't charge your Teslas. Or today he signed a bill bragging that he's going to give the real ID that we had to go, you know, bring your your tax statement, bring your passport so you have a little bear on your California license. But he's going to give them to illegal aliens. So it's meaningless that all those hoops he made us jump through. And so I, I think all the voters are going to see this. They see it's a, a nationwide phenomenon. The midterms are not kind to an incumbent first-term president anyway. And Maybe you can see it, Sammy, but I don't see any of these key four to six issues getting better in the next five weeks. You don't think they'll tack to the center and try to pretend like. Yes, they will. Issues. But that's a condemnation. So when you're running these ads everywhere about, you know, an end to crime and we support the police, you say, well, if you're a Democrat and you support that, then why is there crime? Because you have power. Mm. You have the Senate. You have the House. You have the presidency. So if you're angry about the crime and you're running ads, it's self-serving is my point, Sammy. Yeah. That particular candidate is saying, I'm basically, I'm not a Democrat. Yeah. But I don't care if you vote the other people, but not me. And if everybody does that on that side, it becomes counterproductive. It's it's only a strategy that works for particular candidates yeah. to, to refute the entire Democratic project. It was sort of like the 2006 midterms when. Iraq went to hell and individual congressmen started to campaign against George Bush, but it didn't help them. They lost the House because people said, well, you voted for it and you're on board. You're just now selfishly trying to distance yourself from an unpopular president and an unpopular policy. Yeah. And yeah. It, well, I, it didn't save them. And so they're, they're not going to they're not going to do it. And then remember that Republicans, finally, you and I have been talking about this for months, they nationalized the election. So Kevin McCarthy came out with an updated contract with America. It's not as inspired. It's not as eloquent. It's not as dramatic. But he's right on the issues. Each issue, he said, this is what we're going to do if we get control of one or both of the houses. If he gets control of one, they're going to try to do this and he can stop it. It's not so positive because he won't have positive power. It'll be the power of negating this crazy Biden agenda, but it will be power. Yeah. And he articulated that. So each of those races, the Republican candidate can say, are you for or against this, for or against this, for or against this? And they're going to have to come out and, and be on record rather than January 6th is back again. Oh, my gosh. Trump wanted to sell secrets to the to the Russians. Oh, my gosh. Joe Biden said that half the country is semi-fascist. Oh, I hear Trump's going to be in that monotony has been, as I said earlier, it's been deracinated. It's been pulled out. And now they have a chance to make this a referendum on a failed administration and yeah. a failed ideology. And I think they're going to do very well. And I then what so. happens? So we didn't talk about that. What happens then? <laughs> and they better do something when they get into Congress. Yes, That's they better sure. do something. <laughs> and But my point is, what does the left do then? Do they do what they did in 1972? 
after McGovern was destroyed? Do they say, tried that, we ain't going to do that again. We're going to go back to a guy with a Southern accent as our president. No more Northern liberals. Or are they going to say, oh, those stupid deplorables, They uh, and they're going to double down? I hope so. And then maybe they will really get wiped out in 2024 and show us the real colors. Because there's going to be people in that insane group who are going to say, we lost because we compromised. We were for defunding the police. And then some of us said, oh, I never said that. We should have doubled down and said we had to double. And then there's going to be people who say, you know, we kind of wimped out and started pumping from the petroleum. We should have said, we're glad that it's empty. We don't want fossil fuels. So that element will be, there's going to be the squad and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie. They're not going to say we lost because you listened to me. They're going to say you lost because you didn't listen to me. Yeah. That you were too moderate. <laughs> yeah. yeah I this, is a, this is a, a Jacobin movement. Remember, a, a Bolshevik movement. They don't compromise. Well, I hope you're right that the average person or especially the independents and all those people in the middle on the margin will see it that way. So, But could I ask you about some specific races? Yes. What do you um, see foresee for the Oz Fetterman? Well, <laughs> That question is in the Trafalgar poll, they're only about, we're there in the margin of error now. So I asked myself, there's five weeks of a grueling campaign that has an amateur, although experienced television presence in Dr. Oz versus a seasoned but compromised Fetterman. So what's going to happen in the next five? Is he going to get stronger, more coherent? Is his post stroke challenges are they going to diminish in the next i don't think so they're going to sharpen is oz going to be he's getting into it is he going to be better at least the same yes so i expect that to close and it's going to reflect also it's not just these races are not just localized so there's going to be three to five points either way that are going to vote or will reflect a sentiment at the national level. So if Joe Biden was really on the rebound and the border was starting to be secure and gas prices really were permanently falling and crime had been, you know, it had been staunched and it was starting to descend and statistically back to 2020 levels, yeah, yeah, then Fetterman could win. but. When you yeah. nationalize the election and the national leader is pathetic and the national agenda pathetic, then Fetterman doesn't get any outside help. So if you were him, Sammy, and it's October 20th and good old Joel Biden from Scranton is in the area, would you have him come and speak with you <laughs> no. at a rally? Because people were going to suggest that Fetterman is going to go like this and I just want to say, oh, well, and then I'm going to turn it over to Joe Biden. And <laughs> Biden is going to show how sharp he is. He's only going to lose his train of thought yeah. and he's going to emphasize Fetterman. So then what do you do? What politicians do when they don't want to be seen with their, their national leader? They just say they're busy or their work schedule didn't work out. They yeah, had a previous exactly. commitment. So I, I think he's going to lose. I think there's a good chance that Masters in Arizona is going to beat Kelly. He's do you think closing. that that Fetterman is going to actually do that debate or is he going to try to get out of it? Uh, you know, he, he's got to do it. But remember that Joe Biden, everybody said he was non-composmentous. And I said on national television that and I said this to some members of the conservative or political or administration who called me, I said that don't underestimate Joe Biden. He will sleep for five days, readjust his Cicadian rhythms and take Adderall or whatever they do. So there are pharmaceuticals, there's ways of resting that for 90 minutes people can seem more coherent. So if he gives one sentence put downs that he memorizes, he might be able to get through it. That's why Oz, I think, if they're only going to have against what they had previously promised, and that would happen, remember, with Biden was supposed to have three debates. So 
Oz tried to do what Trump should have tried to do, and that is lengthen the debate to two hours. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think it'll be very problematic. For yeah. Have you heard? These, oh, go ahead. One thing to remember is that these races don't take place in isolation. I know there are particular state, local, regional issues that are unique to each one. But that said, once you get this momentum or once you get this national shrug or feeling, then it becomes pandemic. And we saw that in the 2016 election. Once people in Wisconsin said, I'm done with Hillary. Yeah. And then people in Michigan independently said, I'm done with Hillary. And then people in you know, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then Ohio, I'm done with her. Florida, I'm done with her. That was it. Now, there were in independent reasons per locale, but they had nationalized it. So I think that once Fetterman are... Kelly, or any of these candidates, people, you know, even Patty Murray in Washington, when people finally say, you know what, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this gobbledygook. I'm sick of woke. I'm sick of excrement on the sidewalk. I'm sick of these YouTube videos all day, 24-7 of youth breaking in and killing and hurting people. I'm sick of this cancel. I'm just sick of it. And when that starts to catch on, then each of these senatorial candidates suffers from the same malady. Yeah. And they're close. What I just said would be inaccurate or misleading if there were six to eight to 10 point leads, but they're collapsing down to two and four and three. And these are more, the majority of these leads are reflected in Democratic polls. Trafaglar is the only one that has any credence, really, maybe Rasmussen, but they're biased. And even their biased polls show that these races are entering the realm of you know, they're within the margins. And so it, these trends are not good for them. And there's a lot of literature written today about it. And, and I think it's it's dead on. Have you looked at this Utah race where a McMullen who is not a Democrat, but he's being supported by the Evan, Democratic yeah. Party versus um, Mike Lee, who's the Republican? Yes. What, what, what are your thoughts on that race? That's just... Uh, that's a media-generated, oh, McMullen's closer than he should be, and you know there's evidence of widespread dissatisfaction with Mike Lee, and Utah's mm -hmm. because of demographic changes is starting to become purple. And don't believe it. Okay. Don't believe it. Mike Lee is going to win and win easily, and McMullen, he's kind of a grifter. He's never even paid off his uh, 2016 independent campaign expenses. Yeah, he's, you know he's he's. I don't think that these scold this never Trump scold is. It's got a shelf life that has passed. People do not want to hear the Bill Crystal or Liz Cheney or Evan McMullen put their finger at them and said, "You should have listened to me." And look at Trump. And 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 then when that type of attitude gave us the Biden people in power, yeah. all these people who said they had such. Sterling personal values and, and value systems and ethics. What did they do? They just gave us socialism, contrary to what they had told us for years. They had raised money for their individual causes and PACs and themselves on the premise that they were solid conservatives. And they threw it out the window and gave us Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. So they have a rendezvous, a gut check time, don't they, in 2024, because I'd say there's a 50-50 chance that Donald Trump may not be the candidate, whether he doesn't run or whether DeSantis or someone like him mounts a serious challenge. But if that should happen, then all of their pretense of why they didn't vote Republican is what? It's gone. And so here are the issues, and you go through every one, abortion, the border, inflation, foreign policy. It's what they wanted. That's what the Cheneys told us to do. That's what the Bushes told us to do. Now they've got DeSantis in this hypothetical. They've got him, so they're going to vote. I don't think they're going to vote. I think they're so compromised by the left. They've taken so much money as spoilers from the left that they can't go back now. Yeah. Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back and talk about U.S. foreign policy. And maybe John Solomon has some new information on the deep state, and we'll talk about that. We'll be right back.
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast We're back um Victor uh in foreign policy boy there's so much going on but I was wondering um your thoughts since Biden recently said that he would use US soldiers to defend Taiwan <laughs> what what does that mean <laughs> You're asking me, Sammy, to take Joe Biden seriously. On Monday, he could say that. On Tuesday, he could say that we're going to defend Argentina or the okay, Falklands. Well, okay, hold on there, though, for a moment. He is the leader of our country, and foreign policy, even though it's words, usually has an impact. I know it's it's all the face of things, but we see it all the time where. Words are said partly to have an influence on how things go, but you think it's just random that he just said that randomly, like he tries to shake somebody's hand who's not there. He went to Ukraine. He went to Poland on the borders of Ukraine, and he said to Americans, when when you guys get to Ukraine. (laughs) So, I mean, he... He says things, you know, he just says things because, but, and it's not a characteristic of his um, cognitive challenges. It was Joe Biden before he had these problems. He was always a loose cannon. He was always a blowhard. He was always half educated. He was arrogant. He was a narcissist. He was a liar. He was a plagiarist. He was a cheat. He was a harasser. I think he was a racist as well. All of that was before this. And now the veneer that we, inhibited that expression that is that self-control is gone which mm-hmm. tragically happens with people with dementia so now we see him in the raw but it, we, what when i when i mean we see him in the raw we don't see a different biden we just see biden without good old joe biden the the jokester and the old folksy guy we all like that's gone yeah. so when he says that about taiwan what he should have said is, I don't comment on what the United States does. It's a, Our strategy is not that we support the Taiwanese democracy, and we will re- react in our own way and our own choosing at the appropriate time. But we would like to warn people that it would be very unwise to, to try to invade at Taiwan, something like yeah. that, and then let it be strategically ambiguous. Okay, so let's then turn to the Ukraine. And um, do you think diplomacy is at all possible? I know we've talked about all the military options Putin has, but do you think any diplomacy is possible with Putin? Or what are your feelings on that? Well, he was at a gut check time where he's now trying to annex or to absorb through these phony plebiscites, the, the majority Russian speaking areas on the border. And it's very ironic because if he had done that before he invaded and just said, let's have an international conference and adjudicate areas within the province, he'll call it the province of Ukraine, the nation of Ukraine, and decide what the people want to do, it would have had credibility. And we he would have saved 100,000 casualties. But now he has no credibility. So there isn't going to be a diplomatic settlement right now until he asked for it because the Ukrainians are not going to ask for it because they're on the offensive and their supplies are been pretty well guaranteed and their technology and military expertise are increasing. And so something has to change the calculus on the battlefield. And I guess you would say in classical strategic terms, Putin is talking about mass, mass, 
he's going to get 300,000 conscripts and mass them in there, right? Yeah. And that's going to change. But it's not because they're going to have just a few weeks of training. The desertion rate will soar. Their casualty rate soar. If you took a bunch of kids out of high school, 18, 19, 17, and you put them you know, on a Jeep or with a machine gun or a very dangerous thing, they're going to screw up, kill each other, kill themselves. So they're going to put all of these conscripts in deadly machines with deadly equipment, and they're going to turn them loose on an army that is not anywhere near what it was in February 23rd of this year. It's a much more experienced, finely tuned, honed, focused military. It's deadly. Ukrainian. They are probably the deadliest man-for-man army now in Europe. And they have high morale, and they expect to win, and they've got the most sophisticated weapons in the world. And so you're going to put mass in there, and they want mass. They want 20,000 people in this base, and 10,000 Russians, and another caravan coming in in mass, because they have the means, they feel, with drones and missiles and artillery to blow them up once they concentrate. And so... What do you he's, think his chances he's a, are? Yeah, go ahead. I think I think Putin is going to mass, and I think it's not going to work. It's going to be Verdun 2.0 for another few months. The Ukrainians may back off a little bit, but eventually that conscript reinforced army is going to start doing what the original army is. That is surrendering, taking high casualties, terrible morale. morale while civil disobedience increases in Russia. And then I don't think it's going to be enough to topple Putin. I don't think Putin can't win. I think he can, but he's going to need more than 300,000. He's going to have to have a call up, a draft of everybody. And yeah. he can field, you know, two or three million people and bring in, you know, all sorts of different types of, of forces. But once he does that, he's committed to not just getting the border line the borderland back but he's committed to crushing ukraine like he did chechnya he keeps talking about a nuclear weapon he can let off a nuclear weapon he can take out a city he can take out chernobyl but ultimately you've got to ask yourself and then what so you drop a three kiloton bomb or four kiloton missile what happens then where does the nuclear waste go does it go back into your allied soviet former Soviet republics that are allies of yours? Are they drenched with it? Is it does it blow into Russia itself? Do your middle-class families, such as they are in Russia, do they appreciate a toxic cloud coming in? And then do your soldiers go right into the crater? <laughs> and yeah. then you killed a bunch of people. And what happens if they keep fighting and it doesn't shock and all of them? Then what do you do? You drop another one, another one, another one, another one. And at some point, does somebody tell you? What does India say? What does uh, China say? And so there's a lot of, it just, we just say tactical nuclear weapon. Ah, no, there's always an after. There's always a tomorrow, no matter how horrendous the weapon that is used. And he hasn't thought that out yet. So I don't oh, see the strategic yeah, I was value ask. a tactical yeah. nuclear weapon. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think Putin has gone through this calculus with himself and or his, you know? No, I think he has a strategy and it may work. His strategy is to talk about it nonstop. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. And then Macron calls Biden and Biden calls the British and, they, and the NATO command. And they all get together and say, hey, what is NATO policy? It's not to provoke Putin. No NATO troops are getting anywhere near the border. No overflights. And let's uh, let our Russian counterparts know under the radar, we're not going to do the following. That's what it's intended for. It's to tell everybody, I'm crazy. I'm capable of anything. If you dare accelerate the pulse of the battlefield, if you up your supplies, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So don't do it. It's a preemptive way of saying de-escalate allies of Ukraine. Do not escalate. Yeah. And that, I think it's been pretty much successful so far. That, yeah. that not, I don't mean in winning the war, but he's been able to stop a natural momentum of the Allies. There's not a lot of Americans suddenly that are saying, wow, let's give them another $100 billion, they're winning. Or let's go out and really do sink the Black Fee. If you start looking at the commentary, it's things like, 
there was a New York Times columnist, I think yesterday, who said maybe sort of kind of that our strategic interests will start to diverge a little bit from Ukraine. And then there was a European commentator says, we don't need any more. You have to do this for us. Uh, Zelensky lecture, especially in January and February, when we're going to be freezing on Zelensky's behalf. So you can see what's that's what Putin's strategy is. It's to talk about a nuclear weapon and then detour any elect, deter any escalation and then hope that his energy war wins and steel production is curtailed. It is manufacturing and, and the West says, OK, let's just have a conference. Yeah. OK, um, what have you been listening about this um the sanctions on Iran during the protests over the wearing of, or how somebody wears a hijab. I understand a young <laughs> woman was killed by the, oh, I forget what the name of the forces are, but by the internal secret, not so secret police in, in Iran. Um, what were your thoughts on, on U.S. dealing with your, Iran, whether it's the nuclear deal or they have no respect for us. They, yeah. There's no deterrence. You know, for a while we had the Stuknik's viral attack along with Israelis, and then Trump killed Soleimani, and they weren't sure what he would do or what he was capable of doing. But during the Obama administration, remember when they, they attacked our ships on the high seas or harassed them, I should say, and then we had the Green Revolution as soon as Obama came into office, and there were... Two million people in the streets of Tehran. They just needed an itsy bitsy, teeny weeny what suggestion of support from Obama, but he they got nothing because that would upset his grand plan for the Middle East, which was, I'm a social activist, I'm a community organizer. I always sympathize with the underdog, the Shia, the Persian. They're the victims of Saudi or Gulf or Israeli. Dominance. So I'm going to create a balance of power by elevating the Hamas, Syria, Lebanon, Iranian axis. And don't screw it up by a bunch of right wing people wanting democracy in the streets. That's pretty much what the Obama administration's attitude is. And that's what ours is. Let's get back the deal and empower Iran and let's isolate the Saudis, the Abrams Accord, Israel. Because it's bizarre, but they are pro-Iranian, and people should remember that. They don't want uh, to cancel the Iranian deal. They don't really want sanctions. They want that government to stay in power because it's a revolutionary government, and they sort of like the idea that the House of Saud or the Israelis detest it. And they say, you know, we have some leverage over the Saudis now. We have some leverage over the Israelis now, because if they get too uppity, we're just going to, oh, maybe we'll go back to the Iran deal. Mm, maybe they'll get a bomb in 10, you know, that's their attitude. Yeah. I'm not suge- suggesting that they think it out clearly because they're ignoramuses, but that's they, they tilt <laughs> toward Iran. And they have yeah. some help with the Iranian expatriate community, because remember, there were two diasporas. The first one, Many of them Jewish were staunch supporters of the Shah. They were the upper upper middle class and professional classes. They were staunchly anti-Khomeini, and they were pro-U.S. And they're in their 60s and 70s. And then a second diaspora came after the Shah was over, and the Bani Sadr utopians, the socialists, thought that by getting rid of the Shah, then they were going to have a kind of Venezuela or Cuba there. And they had no idea that they thought they used Khomeini to get rid of the Shah, and he used them as useful idiots, and he was much stronger. He had the guns. So then they flocked to the West in a much bigger migration, and they tended to be left. So when you see expatriate Iranians, three three to every one of them are critical of the United States, and their narrative usually goes something like this. You created the Shah. And you did all this to our, my country. And this is why I'm in your stupid, awful country. And I, and we had a revolution going, and then you sold us out. It's never criticizing indigenous elements within that traditional society that were prone or susceptible to uh, supporting a complete maniac, a satanic figure like the Khomeini uh, 
like Khomeini and his successors, they blame us. Yeah, not the first generation. You'll see a lot of very pro-American Iranian expatriates, but we should remember that because they do influence U.S. policy. Yeah, um, Victor, on if we can turn to another subject now, the deep state. Um, John Solomon's investigation has unearthed a whistleblower on the FBI who <laughs> is uh, has um, said that they they use they were using false statistics on extremists in the U.S. to go after people. You know, meaning that they've risen the or risen they have raised the number that as though it were a lot of extremists and then the second thing was uh that they're using swat teams to um to arrest for misdemeanors and things like that and this so this whistleblower has come out i think to the committee that's investigating the FBI. It all depends on the midterms. And I think the Republicans are going to win. And then there's going to be immediately an investigation. There's going to be subpoena. They're going to call these whistleblowers up. They're going to testify. They're going to bring in Christopher Ray, and he's going to have to explain why they go to school board meetings, why uh, they are doctoring evidence if they are and why they've been weaponized. But they have a problem, and that is that the Biden administration and the Washington hierarchy has too many victims and not enough victimizers. So if you're talking about an epidemic of white rage, then show us show us the money. Where's the yeah. white ragers? And there's none, there's very few. So they have to go and magnify the ones that they can find, and then that would support the Mark Milley, Lloyd Austin, Joe Biden narrative. And then what's the, and they think they're cool. Remember that all our listeners should remember that the left thinks this is really neat. Hey, you guys, just like we took over uh, the foundations and professional sports and the advertising industry and Wall Street and K through 12, we've taken over the CIA. We've taken over the FBI. We've taken over the DOJ. We have taken over the Pentagon. And now that chain of command automatic rule by fiat it's now ushering in our progressive agenda from transgenderism gay marriage to you name it this is neat and what they don't understand is these agencies that thought that they were had a pipeline right into the powers that be in the white house and they were getting a lot of you know attention and money and budgeting it's boomerang so the army's only met 50 percent of its annual recruitment 45% of the country doesn't have any confidence or very little confidence or not great confidence, however you want to word it, with the U.S. military. If you look at the polls of the FBI, it's it's just incredible. They have negative support. Nobody, they don't have 51% of the American people that grew up with, you know, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. telling us about how great the FBI was. And it's gone. And the CIA, the support is gone. So they've taken these institutions and politicized them. And they think it's so neat that they love our authoritarianism. And now they have no public support. It's yeah. completely flipped that the left it's, of the church committee era in the 1977, et cetera, it was so adamant and insisting as civil libertarians that these institutions be transparent they don't want them to be transparent they don't want civil liberties because these are not liberals these are hardcore jacobins and yeah. the conservatives have said you know what these are very traditional institutions that are important for national security they think, no they're not they're yeah. not they're turning on americans they're going to school board meetings they're raiding presidents houses they're cooking the books they're forging a FISA application. They're hiring informants to sabotage a campaign. This is not the FBI. This is not John Brennan's CIA. It's not what I used to support. That's what they're thinking. It's, it's really a yeah. remarkable time in American history. This it utter flip-flop on these agencies. And you can look at the people who did this, because there always has to be a person who did this. And it was James Comey. And it was John Brennan at the CIA, and it was James Clapper, the Director of National Intelligence. It was Andrew McCabe. It was Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, James Baker, Kevin Kleinsmith, and I think Christopher Ray as well, and the people that they represent. 
they got what they wanted, didn't they? And they destroyed their institutions. Christopher Ray is sure a did. Republican president. He will be gone. He knows it. You think that he, as FBI director, he would say no to Biden. But he's, I think his attitude is, heck, I got another two years. I'll get to be have this job for two years. And then if yeah. Biden doesn't run and he won't run, maybe the Democrats will win. I'll be here another four years for doing all this stuff for them. Yeah. You know, I, I'll, yeah. I'll go tell Kamala Harris that I was the guy who organize the Trump house raid. But if that doesn't happen, they'll all be fired yeah. quickly. Yeah, which will and be they should be. Thing. They should be yeah. if a Republican comes in. We've had that discussion before about yeah. the midterms and the, the change in the direction of the country, whether you're an Old Testament or New Testament Republican, whether you yeah, want to have a little retribution to send a message or you just want to say, you know, I suffer, I turn the other cheek, let's just move on. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's take another break and come back to talk a little bit about crime and criminality, whether it be hunters or other people that are destroying stores still and such. So we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. We're back, Victor. So a little update on either Hunter. I know that they have some new <laughs> evidence. I know it's a rabbit hole and I know our listeners do too. He's just like, it's insanely crazy what this guy gets away with, but go ahead and take it away from here. Well, at least I'm laughing is that when you have those pictures where he has that sassy little gay kind of look with the, the bandana around his neck and he's almost naked with his crotch, kind of like a jock strap and a cigarette. Yeah. He's he, he's posing for all these pictures and he's writing all of this stuff or these prostitutes that that I just don't believe that a person would put that on their computer then lose it and it's a second laptop. So there has to be something psychologically that would explain this aberrant behavior. And I think I'll go back to my original exegesis that he is very bitter. He thinks his father liked Bo better, and Bo was probably a much better person than Hunter. He feels that he's got resentment toward his stepmother, that she was a conniver and manipulated her father. That is true, no doubt, as well. He feels uh, that Joe never appreciated his efforts at grifting and taking enormous legal risks to you know, shake down the Ukrainians or the Russians or the Chinese and enrich. So when he sees Jill by Jill and Joe in that big mansion, you know, by the seashore, or their big mansion outside of Willington, or the way that they lived the last ten years, or all of their appendages, uh, as he said to, I think it was what was it a cousin? He said, "I'm the guy that makes all the money." Mr. 10% just rakes it off the top, the big guy. So he's got a lot of bitterness and how that translates psychologically. I think he almost tries to flirt with obliteration, <laughs> annihilation. <laughs> so he tries to think, I'm going to get the most disgusting, sick, corrupt, <laughs> depraved photo of myself that I can. And I'm going to kind of I don't want to be very graphic, but there was a there was a family member once that one of our adults in the extended family said to the young kid, get in the car. And the kid was right off the shore in a boat 
I can't hear you. <laughs> he out. And there's nothing they could do because they'd have to get drenched wet and they were late. And the kid knew that. So yeah. Biden telling do, yeah, Biden can't do anything to him because he's got the goods <laughs> on Joe Biden. All he has to do is turn state's evidence or doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is lose another. He's probably got 10 laptops. He's lost two. He can lose another three. And the point is that Joe Biden is terrified of him. That's why he says the most ridiculous thing. I can't think of anything in my life I'm embarrassed about Hunter. And he does, you know, I've never talked to Hunter. Well, I did call him up and tip him off that the New York Times article that's going to appear is going to get him off the hook. But it's it, Hunter has all the leverage over his dad, and he's so bitter and angry about his own life and Joe Biden's lack of appreciation for his dirty grifting uh, that he just tries to, I mean, if you told me, Victor, I want you to embarrass your entire family in the next year. <laughs> I say, okay, Sammy, uh, I'll get a crack pipe and I'll leave it in a rental car. How's that? And he'll say, no, that's not enough. I that's said, okay, I'll go buy a gun and l- and lie on a federal application. So, <laughs> Not <Victor>. good enough. <laughs> so I'm going to throw it in a dumpster and lose it. No. Oh. Okay. My brother just died. So I'm going to seduce his wife and leave my wife and kids. No. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go to a strip show and impregnate a stripper. How's that? No. Okay. Let me think. Oh, I'm going to go to a hotel room take crack cocaine and have two prostitutes sit on me while I film it. No. Okay. Didn't I'm going to paint with him? my mouth. I'm going to put a paintbrush in my mouth after I've told to behave. And I'm going to paint pictures to crooks that want to give to my dad. How's that? And sell my painting. And you say, no. Okay. I'm going to rent a $20,000 Malibu house right next to a $30,000 uh, secret service and have orgies. How's that? Well, that's what I'm getting at. It's hard to do what he did unless he's driven. Yeah. You forgot the picture where he's sitting in one of those water (laughs) tanks and he's like smoking his crack pipe, I think, at the same time. When he comes down the water slide? No, no. He's he's in one of those water tanks where they do, you know, like. But he did come down stark naked, but naked in the water slide. (laughs) I didn't see that. Genitalia white and. So, and he has that and, you know, and the FBI is just, and then, you know, you're saying, well, maybe his sister is appalled. No, his sister wrote a diary and she had two things in common with Hunter. She had sexual problems. She blamed her promiscuity on what, when she said she was inappropriate with her father showering, it was either she was too old to be showering with his father and I, or too long. I thought to myself wait a minute, there are millions of people out in America. I know there's thousands listening to us right now. I asked my audience, has any father ever taken one time at any age a shower naked with his daughter? I had two daughters that that thought it would be abhorrent. So (laughs) when she says it might have been a little bit too long, you think, no, it should have never occurred. And then you (laughs) think that. She's related to Hunter, so how did we find her diary? James O'Keefe went in and snuck around and No, it was Hunter's modus operandi. Hunter just left his, his, in a coke days, he went to a computer thing and left it there, never picked it up. Well, she was renting a place and just took off and left her stuff. And among, among them was a private explicit diary. Can you imagine? Anybody would do such a thing? She was just like he was. And then that diary is its so repulsive on almost every world. He's asking a member of his family about procuring him a prostitute. And she says, well, she starts to inquire about his racial preferences. This is Joe who's accused the country of being racist. And he says, no Asian. And she said, yeah, me, I can understand. <laughs> no Asian? So, I mean, it's like... Mean? <laughs> Even in their depravity, they're racist. Yeah. And yet, that's what's so crazy about you. I wrote something today for American Greatness about remembering hate speech. I mean, everything that Joe Biden has said about 
hate speech and and depraved people, they only apply to him. He's the racist. He's the one that's breaking the law. He's the one that's weaponizing the government. He's the one that's employing fascistic tendencies and operations and institutes. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. It because as you're talking, I'm thinking, and this is reminding me of the empire, Rome's empire at the beginning when all of those crazy, well, not all, but some <laughs> crazy emperors. But but we're in a democracy, so how these guys get away with this in a democracy is. Just, I don't think we're. I mean, I cry the beloved country. We are nominally a democracy, but we're run by an aristocracy. We have a bicoastal aristocracy, and there's certain membership. You can have the right zip code, inherited wealth, or you can go to a professional school that is not synonymous with an education, but it is synonymous with a cattle brown. Harvard, Dale, Princeton, you know, Berkeley, maybe Stanford, and then you get into that aristocratic cadre and then it's not predicated on race it can be any race but it is on a particular professional class that takes care of her own they run the country and they especially run it through wall street but i'm not getting conspiratorial here i'm just i'm just quoting molly ball i keep referring back to that time february 2021 article when she outlined it she outlined the conspiracy. It's Silicon Valley money. It's professionals in the liberal legal community. They run the country. They were the ones that said that they could turn off and modulate the protest on the street. They basically said that BLM and Antifa were obedient to their corporate masters. I believe it. And they yeah. were the ones that could get, you know, can you imagine this in the United States? Hey, Mark, this is a. Uh, Mark Elias. Hey, Mark Zuckerberg, got a problem. We're worried about some precincts in the election. We need some money to go get a whole army of people to take over the actual drop boxes and vote harvesting. We need a little money, like $419 million. (laughs) Okay. I thought you'd ask for a lot. That's no problem. That's how they work. And gosh, they, you know, but you think about all the things they say that they believe in. They don't believe in any of them. It's so cynical. I mentioned that before. I was walking across the Stanford campus and Ben Shapiro, who was scheduled to speak, and I saw this this poster. And I saw a person, you know, they were putting them all over. And it said, Ben be gone, and it had bug spray, i.e., it was deliberately trying to resonate Zygon B and the final solution for Jews. And here was a Jewish conservative, and they were advertising Ben Be Gone spray. And I thought, this is Stanford University, and nobody's upset about it. It was only after the, the wider world got incensed that Stanford backed down and, and took made them take it down and apologize. But they didn't want to apologize. So what I'm saying is these people are capable of anything. They don't, they don't, they don't function as in a democracy. They don't believe in, I mean, if the filibuster's bad or good, depends on whether they it's useful. Electoral yeah. college, whether it's useful. Nine people in the Supreme Court, whether it's useful. 50 state union, whether it's useful. That's how they look, look at yeah. it. And, you, uh, um, know you've, yeah, I know you're mentioning, though, that they do seem to have control of Antifa and BLM. We haven't seen you know, riots in the streets from those two groups, but we are seeing still the masses of, well, the Democratic Party, I guess. Um, they're they're invading stores still. There was a recent one in Wawa, Philadelphia, right? At the Wawa store, yeah. I mean, a complete invasion I gotta be careful what I say because yeah. we live in an Orwellian world. I have to be very careful, so I'm going to be very, very careful. But this latest scene, it seems to be some social media scripted event where people get on social media and they say congregate and they do it at the last moment. They a hundred or so come to a store, they mass and they destroy it. They loot it. And when you look at the things that they steal, what I was when I saw the YouTube or the, the videos, what I was looking at was the ground and the parking lot when they left. They were, it was covered with merchandise. It was more what I'm getting at is they were food and items, but I doubt, I mean, not that they're not capable. We saw that in May of 2020, but it was the idea of being nihilistic and destroying things. 
And I would say 95% of those who appeared in the video were African-American youth. And there had been a pattern. I mean, if there was 12% African-American youth that was reflective of the demographic, I would have noticed. But there's been a series of those, of these yeah. looting incidents. I've seen them in San Francisco, at Walgreens or Rite Aid with smashing and I've seen them with hijackings. You see them in Chicago on the Million Dollar Mile looting. You see them in New York, and then you see the knockout game. You see the attacks on Jews and Asian Americans. Again, disproportionately by African-American youth. And there's one common theme to it, and that is you are not allowed to use the word African-American. It's in all of the news accounts, liberal or conservative matters little. It's juveniles or suspects. But it's not going to be MAGA people. In other words, when you talk about Joe Biden gives a speech, he has no hesitation of stereotyping 75 million people. Or Mark Milley has no problem talking about an epidemic of white rage. Or Lloyd Austin. Uh, Nobody has that problem. But when this particular, I guess because of the historical problem of slavery and Jim Crow and the civil rights movement, but we're over half a century since the civil rights movement. And this disproportionate involvement in crime, if you're going to stop it, it does affect the minority communities. Every white liberal always points this out, or a conservative as well, because those stores won't stay open if that happens two or three times more. And if they start to transfer their base of operations and say hit, you know, the Stanford Shopping Center, and I think there had been one case of that. Or Carmel, and they did that once. I think two people did. But if they start doing that, they'll be met with, believe me, security guards and police. And so yeah. what I'm saying is there's a kind of a sick understanding that as long as this takes place in communities that are near and they're they're away from the wealthy, buy close to a white elite, it's okay. But yeah. people need to talk about this. Is it because of the educational system? Is it because 75% of the African-American families are not two-parent households? Is it something about the cult of hyper-masculinity that's, that resonates in rap music and so on? Whatever it is, the unionized inner-city teachers, the abandonment of the public schools of the big cities by the elite, I don't know what it is. Or maybe it's the defunding of the police or the end of the deterrent or the hijacking of the civil rights integrationist assimilationist movement, you know, back in the 70s by the Black Panthers and Black is Beautiful and the the mill. I don't know what it is, but it's not a sustainable situation. And, and it's going to, it's losing, it's something, when people don't talk about something they're aware of, and this is not stereotyping, it's not racist, but they're aware that this, post-2020 crime epidemic is disproportionately involving African-American youth, coupled with the idea that what I just said is a fireable offense, okay? And so when you have a reality that's backed by data, and you have a government or media instilled Orwellian rule that you can't discuss reality, then you're going to create frustration. And yeah. you're going to get cynicism. And that's what's happened. And that's yeah. going to boom about, boomerang about the uh, Democratic Party. And believe me, eventually, it's going to be the African-American middle class who is most vulnerable to this and is most angry about it, about the Soros DAs and the Democratic Party. And you will start to see greater defections away from the Democratic Party, not just among the Latino community, but the African-American community. I can see in 2024, if this was to continue, you would have 25% of the African-American electorate that would say, you know what, our our elite leadership has abandoned us. They don't care. They're into boutique issues that we have nothing to do with us, and we're worried about the economy and crime, and they don't yeah. care because they're insulated from it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it seems like the that the Democrats unleashed something they have no control of either, right? They had control of BLM and Antifa, and that stopped. But this crime wave is not, yeah. I had an appointment today, and I was driving back on the freeway, Central Valley, and I hear the Fox News, The View, and 
Jessica Tarkov, the 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 token liberal of the five, was there. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. She was talking about the good old days when her mother, when she was a young baby and she was on a stroller, and her mom felt perfectly safe. I guess she's probably about forty. So she must have been talking about 1980 when you could, I guess, during the Giuliani Renaissance, when uh, Republican Renaissance, when her mother could take her as an infant in a stroller unaccompanied. And then she said that would be impossible today. And I thought, wait, what did you just say? You said the truth. And who was responsible for that? And what ideology fueled that change? And who who failed to follow up on the Giuliani excuse me, Bloomberg model. Yeah. And so so you see what I'm getting at is there are people on the left who are saying, okay, I'm a hypocrite, I, but I have the money or the education or the influence or the contacts or the status that I can insulate myself from the consequences of my own ideology that's destroyed so many people I don't care about. But... I have to use public facilities at some point in my life. I have to go out of my cocoon. I have to leave the keep. I've got to go among the peasantry. And my soles of my feet have feces on them. And I don't like that. I created hell on earth. And I, 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 I'm not completely safe from the hell that I created. And that's what they're, that's starting to happen. And they're not. Yeah, it sure is. Well, Victor, I think um, the dog is starting to call. He's calling the. T she's calling the time here today. Our time is up, and thank you very much for all of your words and your grace in in you know accommodating our. I know that you you think of things in a much more complicated fashion, but you sure make it easy for us to understand. And I so I would These like are to not thank you for easy that. To understand issues, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah, where a whole society in a matter of thirty six months is unwinding and collapsing. I don't know if we're Mycenaeans, or I don't know if we're you know sixteenth century Florentines or Venetians or. What we are were Weimar Germans in nineteen late nineteen twenties, but we are collapsing almost spontaneously, imploding yeah. our, our institutions, yeah. and and we, we, the, we. I'll just end with this strange phenomenon that we keep damning and desecrating and libeling the prior two or three generations, or even further back, and these are the people who gave us this country. They created our infrastructure, our values. Do we really think that we're smarter and better educated than the past? And yet we hold them to these standards that we could never meet in ourselves with the expectation that nobody in the future will hold us to the same asymmetrical standards. I mean, they will. I mean, yeah. you know, we tore down the statue of Christopher Columbus because we we're so morally superior. And I think, mm, okay, in 40 years, what are they going to do? When they look at that Wawa tape and they see what was going on in the streets of the United States, are they going to say, ah, that was a great, that was a great generation in 2022. They did a lot of stuff. They built Hoover Dam 3 and they finished the uh, very sophisticated high-speed rail in California. And they transitioned without a, a glitch to renewable. No, they're not going to say that. They're going to say no. they gave us feces in the streets of America and homelessness and racial wars and etc. Yeah, and ungodly prices for energy and yeah. no yeah. effort to produce more energy It's the on-mightest touch. Yeah. Everything that progressive yeah. leftism touches turns to dross. Everything. Yeah. They yeah. destroy everything they touch. They're toxic. And with and with that, Victor, we're going to say goodbye to the audience. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson. We're signing off. Bye.